Okay, we're learning Daf Nun Dalit. We're starting from the bottom of Nun Gimel Amidbez. Play Rebbe Lazar. Rebbe Lazar has a question. Bas Shnia. What is the halacha for the daughter of a Shnia? A Shnia is, an, is a woman who's usher to the man. It's an erva. But a Shnia means that she's only Midrabana. It's only an erva Midrabana. And examples of that, um, we learn with grandmother. Like a grandmother. It's a classic one. We learn Yavam. It's a whole list of arayas that are only Midrabana. So you're not supposed to get married. But if you do get married, it's still definitely binding because by Torah law, she's mutarah, she's permitted. So what's the halacha? The halacha is though that if they do get married, then she doesn't have exuba. Chazam uh, penalized her and they said that if she engages in this Osir marriage, um, the grandmother, let's say, marries a grandson, then she doesn't have exuba. What's interesting thing is that when a woman is Osir Midaraisa, but she's mutter, but still binding, like it's like a plain law, then actually she still has exuba. When it's an isra banan, like a grandmother, she doesn't have exuba. And we'll learn about that coming up in Masechus of Amos, why it's like that. But for our purposes today, we just kind of have to trust the fact that she doesn't have exuba, this shnia, and we want to know, yesh lamazonos, does she, if they have a daughter, Let's say the grandmother and grandson, this forbidden um, relationship, they have a daughter. Is she entitled to support from her father's estate? Or in the Mazar, so she's not entitled to support. Usually a daughter, the halacha is, is entitled to support after her father passes away. And that's the question. Is she entitled to support in this case that her mother would not have exuba? Top of the Mazar, since the mother here doesn't have exuba, less than Mazoni, so the daughter doesn't receive support, meaning it goes together with the exuba. It's a tenai haksuba. So since it's a stipulation within the Ksuba and the mother doesn't have Ksuba, so the daughter is not entitled to support from the estate. Odilmar, perhaps, Ima da'abda Yisura, in the case of her mother, where an Isra was actually done, the mother did the wrong thing. Kantua Rabban and the rabbis penalized her, but Ihi, regarding her, to law of the Yisura, she didn't actually do an Isra. She didn't do anything wrong, so why punish her? Meaning it is a legally binding marriage. It's just that the rabbis penalized the mother and, 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 and removed her Ksuba. So therefore, regarding the daughter, perhaps we should still say, since it's a legal marriage, and it, and it took effect, so therefore she should still be entitled to support. Teku, we do not resolve the question. Says the Gemara Abayi Rava, now a fourth question. Bas Arusa. Let's say I have the daughter of a woman that he was only married to with Arison. So usually children only come after Nisuin, because that's the whole point, is that uh, until Nisuin, they haven't moved in, they're not living together, so they haven't been intimate with each other. But let's say it's the daughter of a woman who was married just with Arison, Yesha Mazonas. Does she get support from her father's estate away in Lamazonas? So she, let's say this, the, the Arusa, she has some sort of illicit bia with her, with her husband during Arison. You know, we, we don't have it today, so it's hard to relate. But during that interim period between Arison and Nisuin, they're, they're not really supposed to be having relations. But if they did, um, and, and he has sons, they're inheriting the estate. Can the daughter get support from the estate? What's the question? Even this Aksuba, the mother has Aksuba, right? It's a regular case. So it's a permitted they, they're, they're a permitted relationship. It just happens to be that they did the wrong thing. They had Bia prematurely. So do I say, since the mother has Aksuba Isla, so the daughter should also receive support. Normally the Rabbana are only misakin that the Aksuba is written. When do we usually write the Aksuba? Right before the Nisuin. So Lesla. So then the daughter doesn't receive the support until that time. Meaning the Halacha is any daughters are, that are pledged, any daughters from now and on, from the time of the writing of the Aksuba, so they'll be entitled to support. But since this daughter was there from before, the Bia happened from before, so then it's not going to go on such a daughter, and therefore, um, and therefore, therefore, maybe she doesn't have, and she's not entitled to support, even though her mother is getting exuba from that point and on. And the Gemara says to this question as well, Teku, we do not resolve it. Finally, we get to our final question, the fifth question, by Rapapa Bas Anusa. Let's say a man raped a woman, and they have a child. Does that girl, does that daughter receive support from her father's estate or not? So this 
Um, and we're talking about specifically the case of like, as, as we spoke with the last couple of Prakam, a girl who was raped as a Nara, and then she married, she married the, the rapist, as the Torah says, right? It's a mitzvah, velosi isha. So a man rapes a Nara, Sula, he's meant to continue to be with her. He's meant to marry her. Now that there's a daughter from there. So what's the law? Does, will this daughter get support from her father's estate? So the Gemara clarifies. Does the mother have a ksuba? So you don't have a question. He says that the mother has a ksuba. He holds that in the situation of the girl who was raped and then marries this guy, she's supposed to marry him. She's encouraged to marry him. It's a mitzvah in the Torah. She has a ksuba, like any regular girl. So according to him, obviously the daughter would receive support as well. It's no different than any case. If there's a ksuba, that's one of the stipulations of ksuba, that the daughters get supported. Where is there a question? That the money that paid to the girl as a fine, that exempts the ksuba. According to them, since he pays her the fine, the 50 silver coins for raping her, then there is no ksuba. He just marries her without paying her additional ksuba. So according to him, there's no new payment of ksuba. So my, what do we say? Given to less like ksuba, since the mother has no special payments of ksuba, less the mazoni, so then the daughter doesn't get special support. It's just a function of the ksuba. If there's no ksuba, if there's no special ksuba dedicated to the rape victim, so then the daughter doesn't get support after the death of the father. Odilma, ksuba, time of my. What's the whole reason why she doesn't get a ksuba? What's the reason? The reason we gave... It's Usually the only reason we give a ksuba is we want a girl to feel secure that the, the husband's not going to get mad at her one day and send her away on a whim. So we want there to be a deterrent. Oh, if you divorce, you're going to have to pay money. That's the whole reason why we institute ksuba. And in the case of the rape, when he marries the victim, he cannot divorce her. The Torah says, He's not allowed to divorce her. Once he rapes her and marries her, he's not allowed to divorce her. So that's why there's no need for a ksuba because anyways, divorce is not an option. So that's a reason why there's no ksuba. But that's a very technical reason that there's no ksuba in regard to the mother getting her ksuba. But that's not a reason to take it out on the girl and say that the other stipulations of the ksuba that are normally in place, that let's say a girl is entitled to support after her father's death, that's got nothing to do with that. Why should we take that out on the girl? So the girl will therefore maybe perhaps be entitled to that tonight ksuba, be entitled to support. And the Gemara concludes this question with a take. But we do not resolve that last question. All right, now we get on to the last point here. The Mishnah, the third, the other tonight suba that, that, that we're going to analyze, Ate So here we talk about the widow, that the widow has the right to live in my house and be supported as long as she's a widow. So in other words, even after the husband dies, the, the widow has the right to say, I'm going to remain your widow, loyal to you. I'm going to live in your house. I'm not going to go remarry. I'm going to live in your house. I'm going to get supported. So the Gemara says, Tanu Bevesi. That's only true if the, hum, if the husband promises you're going to live in my house. But the implication is not in my little like shack. What's the point? The point is that there are other Yarshim, there are other boys, grown boys. So if it's a shack and there's not enough room for her and the boys, then the boys can kick her out. And she has to leave in, 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 in the face of the boys and she'll, then she'll have to go on her own. The whole halacha that she's entitled to stay is only when there's a nice house. There's enough room for everybody. But if there's not, so then the boys were the ones who Yarshim and then she has to, uh, she has to leave. However, Rabbi Yosef has a Mazona Isla, even in that case where it was the husband only left over a tiny little shack and she has to leave, but she still gets the, the support from the estate. Meaning there's two, he, according to Rabbi Yosef, they're independent points. The right to live in the house and the right to get the support are independent. No, she says they're contingent upon one another, so she's not going to receive the support. The support is contingent on her living in the house. So if she's living in the house, it was a nice big house, then she gets the support. If she's not in the house because it was too small, then she doesn't get the support as well. However, the Gemara says, we don't pass in that way. We pass in that she always receives the support. So now we're going to talk more about this concept. The concept is 
that as long as she's remaining loyal to her deceased husband as her as his widow, then she's still entitled to support and to live in the house. So what does that mean? So in practical terms, it means she's not trying to get married. She's 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 comfortable remaining a widow. So let's say there was a shidduch which was proposed to the widow, and she accepted the shidduch in Amazonas, and she doesn't receive any support. Meaning. Even if she didn't actually follow through and marry the guy for whatever reason, but as soon as there was an accepting the shidduch, right? She, she said, I'm, 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 I would like to try this. So then that's a demonstration that, that she's no longer loyal to as a widow, and therefore she doesn't get the support. The support, the Lashon of the Ksuba is, as long as you are my widow, the days of your widowhood. So therefore that excludes once the girl is, is trying to get married again. So the Gemara says, what, what's going on? The implication is that she doesn't accept it, she gets support. So Mara says, If she doesn't accept the shidduch, then she always gets mizonus. Meaning the Gemara is saying is, let's say somebody said a shidduch, a shidduch for her of a horrible person. So she said no, because the guy was horrible. But why should she still be entitled to support? Meaning, the reason she said no wasn't because she was loyal as a widow. The reason, the reason she said no is because it was just a bad idea. So how, do, how are we able to tell here? It's explained to me by Shmuel. It depends. We can tell why she turned down the offer. If she said so because of the honor of my deceased husband. You know, I'm so-and-so's a widow. I'm not taking shidduch offers right now. Then she is entitled to receive support. Because that's exactly what it is. It's, it's, it's her, her status of the old, as being the, the widow of the old husband, which is holding her back. It's inhibiting her from remarrying. That's why she's still entitled. But if she says, she says, this is not a suitable shidduch for me. These are not good people to me. Then she doesn't receive the support because her language demonstrates that uh, she doesn't feel too compelled to, to, loyal, to be loyal to her old husband. So we are able to tell by the way she responded. Continues the Gemara, let's say, forget about a shidduch. Let's say, Stam, she has uh, promiscuous activity. She has no, nothing to do with marriage. We're talking about a widow. She's not doing anything wrong, technically. It's not uh, it's not She's not married. But the question is, maybe the fact that she's engaging in znos shows that she's not loyal as a widow. Again, that she, then she maybe isn't entitled to support anymore. So if she had illicit relations outside of marriage, in Lamazon, no, she doesn't receive marriage. She shows she doesn't feel so attached to her dead husband as, as his widow. So let's say she even, this is an interesting thing, she tries to make herself look really good. She's painting her eyes, she's doing specific things with her hair, she's making it look really good, which is done specifically to attract the men. So then in Lamazono, she doesn't have support anymore because she's showing that it's not, you know, she's not, uh, the honor of her dead husband isn't exactly holding her back from remarrying. She's trying to attract men. So the Gemara says, So the one who says that if she had, the, that if she had a one-time a story where she had Bia outside of marriage that she loses the Mizonos, she forfeits the Mizonos if she's trying to attract the men. Why? Because having Mizonos, that's a one-time act. It could be a mistake. But if that already loses it, so certainly regular routine of like tra- dressing and trying to attract men, so certainly that would um, make her lose the Mizonos. Because again, here, it's not about her being good or bad. It's not the question. It's not about a sin. It's about a mindset. Are you so-and-so's ex, like a widow, and you're proud, that's, that's your badge, that you're the widow, or you're trying to move forward. So where, she, where she's trying to attract men is, is clearly showing her mindset is to move forward. But the one who says she forfeits support, if she is um, trying to look good, then I'll say it's only those things. But if she just said a well, one-time, one act of, of Bia, she'll continue to receive support. My time was the reason Yetzer Anasa, it was the Yetzerhara that just compelled her to do it. So meaning to say it doesn't reflect that she doesn't want to be a widow. She's trying to move on. It's just, she, she, she had the temptation in the moment. Continues the Gemara. Actually, we don't practically do the halacha like anything we say. 
What, what is the The way we say it is like this. She is entitled to everything until she goes to the court and demands the payment to the ksuba. Meaning all of these things, she's attracting, she's listening to the shidduchim, she's dressing up. That doesn't make her lose the ksuba. The only thing that makes her lose the ksuba is when she goes and demands the ksuba. And that's the idea. It makes her lose the mazonos, rather, is when she goes and demands the ksuba. In other words, as long as she's living in the house comfortable, even if she's trying to move on, but as long as she hasn't demanded the ksuba, the ksuba is like the exit payment. When you lose, when you're like moving on. So as long as she didn't demand it, remember, she's entitled to it as soon as her husband died. But as long as she didn't demand the payment in court, so then what's the law? She's still viewed as a widow. She's still viewed as a widow. She has the right to be supported, even if she's looking into getting married. We pass in, even if she's looking into getting married, she still has the right to take support unless she actually demands her ksuba in the court setting. Says the, um, so it's interesting. Uh, it's a great question. What if she, she doesn't want to take it? I don't think she has to take it, but I think it's just normal. Like, it's like the exit. You know, it's like the status, like you're leaving the house. But I don't think technically she has to collect on it. So now the Gemara says, Velo, is it true that she doesn't take support if she um, demands it in court? Vaitanya, it says in a bride, so ksuba. So let's say she sold her ksuba, meaning she sold the rights to collection to somebody else. Mishkan ksuba, she used it as security for a loan she took out. Or she designated it as an apotiki, where you basically you borrow money and you say, this is where you're going to collect from. So it's like a very designated place of collection. And all this gives the Amazon, she doesn't receive support. So in this case, she's basically using her ksuba to make money. So once she does that, that's basically collecting on your ksuba, and therefore she loses the mizonos. But what does the bride not say? If she demanded her ksuba, didn't say that. So honey, in it only sounds like where she forfeits the support because she, in fact, collected on it because she sold it or used it. But it's a vast low, she just demanded it, and she doesn't forfeit. So the Gemara answer is no. Honey, these actions that the bride was talking about, whether it was done in the court or not, she loses the ksuba. Tovas, she loses her support. Whereas Tovas, the woman who demanded her ksuba, it's only if she makes a demand in court that she loses the support. But if she didn't make it in court, then she doesn't lose it. So that's why the bride omitted it, because it wasn't as, as, as clear as the other ones. The other cases, no matter how it happened, if she, if she sold it or, or you made it as a loan or whatever it is, then uh, automatically she loses the right to, 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 to sustenance. But in regard to demanding the ksuba, it's only she did it in court that she loses the right to mizrahs. All right, now we get to the last part. So the question was, there was two different girsos. The, girso, the question is, who has the right to decide? Here, as long as she doesn't collect the ksuba, she gets her mizonas. Who has the right to say, I'm, the ksuba is being paid, now no more mizonas? Is it up to the widow or is it up to the yarshim? So there was a difference in the Gersos between the people of Gilil and the people of Yehuda. The people of Yehuda used to say that it was up to the Yarshim, whereas everyone else said it was up to the woman. So the Mar says, how do we pass? It's like the people of Yehuda. So meaning to say it's up to the Yarshim. The boys can decide that they want to pay off the Ksuba and terminate her support. Again, they're not leaving her you know, high and dry. She, she'll get her Ksuba. But the point is, they have the right to make that choice. We assume that she will always continue to receive support unless she wants to collect her ksuba. The Yarshim cannot compel her to accept the payment. all the surrounding cities, they did like Rav. Whereas in Nardah, the surrounding cities, they did like Shmuel. The important key point here is that Shmuel was the Rosh Hashiva in Nardah, and the rest was like Rav. So it basically, in the places that were closer to Shmuel, they did like Shmuel. Says the Gemara, There was a woman from Machoza, which was a city near Baba, who married a person from Narada and lived in Narada. So now this situation happened. The husband died. The Yarshim wanted to pay off the Ksuba 
against her will and not give her support. He heard from her accent. He heard from the way she was speaking that she was from Machoza. Very interesting. You see, accent matters. So he said, okay, so if it's a woman from Machoza, so we go like Rav. So the Yarshim can compel the widow to accept the payment of the Ksuba and lose her support. So they said to Rav Nachman, but she married a man from Narada. So very good, you're listening to her accent. But the ksuba was pledged by someone from Narada, where the law is like Shmuel. So Amalur of Nachman said, if that's so, we have to go like Shmuel. Therefore, it's up to the Yarshim. So meaning, ultimately, it's up to the, the, the husband's location, where, where she got married by the husband. So if she it didn't make a difference that she has a Machosa accent, if she got married to an Arda guy where the law is like Shmuel, then the Yarshim cannot pay the ksuba and terminate the support. Says Marvad Hechan Arda until what cities are considered part of the Arda section? Arda the Sagi Kav and Arda wherever the Arda Kav travels. So what does that mean? The Kav of Arda when they use the way the standard measure dry measurement in Arda the way they measure the Kav if they, if if it would be measured in that way it's like a certain radius close in Arda that they would do it that way as well then it means it's considered an Arda type of city. All right, here we get another machlokas here. It's my Amana when you get to the Ksuba of a widow. We evaluate her clothing, meaning to say the clothing is considered the property of the estate. Technically, the husband owns the clothing. Even if he gave his wife clothing, he technically belongs to him. So when we're coming to, uh, to, to figure out how much we're giving her on the ksuba, we always subtract her clothing, even the clothing that she's wearing. Because technically, that's part of, that's, that, that's part of the husband's estate. And she, if you want to keep it, great, but then you have to detract that from the amount. We do not evaluate what's on her. The clothing is considered her own property. The husband gave it to her like separately. Very interesting idea. So it really boils down to the question of whether a husband gives clothing to his wife unconditionally or not. According to Rav, it's like part of, it, it, it's yours, but I'm giving it to you, but then it's only conditionally. It's, it's still really mine. You can use it. According to Shmuel, it's unconditional. So the Gemara says, The opposite is for a lakat. A lakat is somebody who's like, not a slave, but someone who's like a, a living helper. In that case, if a master gives him clothing, Rav would say the clothing belongs to him. It's not detect, deducted from his wages, separate from the wages. Shmuel holds that it belongs to the employer, and if, you want to, if you're wearing it, then it is deducted from the wages. So an interesting point here. In other words, by, according to Rav, the widow's clothing is deducted from the ksuba. So there we say it's, on, it's given conditionally because I'm only giving you the clothing because I want you to be with me. Right, if I know you're leaving, it returns to the estate. But the employer is different because I know that my that my my worker might leave. Yeah, I don't expect the same loyalty from my worker as I expect from my wife. So if I give clothing to my worker, then for sure I give it unconditionally. It's like very interesting. My wife I only give it conditionally because I only give it because I expect her to be my wife. My worker I might give it unconditionally because I know he might leave. Very interesting, very interesting type of svar. Where Shmuel goes the opposite. A husband is obligated to provide his wife needs. So if I give her the clothing, I give it to her unconditionally. Whereas the worker, I give it uh, conditionally because I don't have to give it. So that's why it's the opposite. So too in the case of the worker. Rav and Shmuel say the same thing parallel to what they said. Rav would deduct the value of, of the worker's clothing from his wages. Shmuel would not. Rav put a simon on this double ruling that both of them we deduct. The orphan and the widow, we strip off their clothing and we leave. Meaning to say that both the worker and the widow, we, we, deduct, their, the, we deduct the value of their clothing from the Perhaps. The garments given to them are not given to them unconditionally. We do, in fact, detract it. 
Even though we learned in a Mishnah like Shmuel, we saw Paskin like Rav. We Paskin like Rav that the clothing is not given unconditionally and we detract it. It says in Mishnah, if somebody consecrates all of his property, someone says, everything I own goes to the base of Mikdash. Someone makes a vow to donate his Erech. There's an Erech is your value. You don't have the right in the clothing of the, of the wife. Meaning the base of Mikdash, the treasurer can't show up and collect the wife's clothing. Why? It doesn't belong to the man who donated it. And then donated all of his stuff. What's your stuff? The wife's clothing, he already gave away to the wife. It's unconditional. He doesn't own it. Velobus is one of the clothing of a children. Velobus savages have a or even the colored garments that have been dyed for the children's, for their, or the, or the wife's garments. Velobus sandal, machadashim, or any new shoes that were already bought for them because they're not viewed as being the devourer's property. So we see that a woman's garments are her own, not her husband's. So we see from the Mishnah, like Shmuel. So we go, seem to say, like Shmuel is correct, that garments are given unconditionally. Says If we see in the Mishnah like Shmuel, so why do we pass him like Rav? We just said that law is like Rav, even though we see like Shmuel in the Mishnah. If we see like Shmuel in the Mishnah, let's pass him like Shmuel. It's only ostensible, ostensibly that the Mishnah seems to go like Shmuel. But if you really look closely, you'll see it's not like Shmuel. And that's why that law is like Rav. My time, and what's the reason that the Mishnah is not like Rav? Because law, what were the terms that the husband gave the clothing? Only on the assumption she would remain with him. On the assumption that she would take the clothing and leave. They didn't give it. In the Mishnah's case, the husband and the wife are not separating. It's just the husband donated all of his assets to the base of Mikdash, so they're still together. While they're still together, the clothing he gave to his wife is given, is given you know, I want, I want it to be yours. And, and, and that's why the treasurer can't take it away. But in our case, where the woman is collecting her ksuba, she's leaving her husband, therefore it's retroactively not a valid gift because I only gave it to you because I thought you were going to stay by me. Therefore, the ownership of the clothing is back and part of the estate. So Rob's point we're making is only when the, the marriage is terminated. During the marriage, Rob agrees that it's fully the woman's thing. Says the Gemara Kalafsei, they barrel Yashiv, a daughter in law of the house of Barrel Yashiv. She was demanding her tuba from the orphans. She was bringing them to the court and she wanted. She wanted her ksuba. Amri, they said, It's very demeaning that you go to the court that way because you don't, you don't look good. She hadn't had new clothing in a long time. So even though she was bringing them to court to collect her ksuba, they were embarrassed that their father's wife looked so bad as, as they were, she was going to court. So, she went and she clothed herself and covered herself with all the clothing that she had. came in front of Ravina. He said, We assess what's on her. So, in other words, once we see all this clothing on her, so, so we deduct it from the Ksuba payment. So, the, the widows had kind of tricked her into dressing up because they wanted to make sure that she wasn't going to deny all this beautiful clothing that she had in her closet. So, therefore, they, they, they made her wear it to the court. And she showed up, and the court saw all this nice, fine clothing that she had, and, she's, and they said, okay, you're right, you can take the ksuba, but all that value of, of these nice clothing that you're wearing has to be deducted from your payout. Says there was a person, he was dying. So it was a man, he said to his family, Nadinya Labras, my daughter should be given over to the daughter. So what happened was, all the, 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 the items that were, that were pledged, they dropped in price. So in other words, let's say he said, buy a couch. And the couch cost, at the time, he said it, $500. But at the time they actually go to buy it, after, after his death, it's only cost $400. So the question is, do we have to just buy the couch, only spend 400 from the estate, or no? At the time it was pledged, it was 500 So the girl, the, the, the girl wants the diary, says, no, I'm entitled to 500 We say, pointedly ask me, the profit goes to the orphans, meaning the girl is not entitled to the 500 She's only entitled to, 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 with the funds to purchase the dowry needs. 
So if the price went down and we can get the needs at a lower price, then she's only entitled to those needs at the lower price. She's not Zoha in the higher price just because of the time her father said it, it costs more. Says Mahud Amad Lu is a certain person who is dying, and he says to the family, Top of Ahmed Bays, Abram Azuzim and Khamal Bras, four hundred zoos of my wine should be a dowry for my daughter. What happened? Iyaki Khamri. The value went up. So now what was worth four hundred zoos, originally that let's say sixteen ounce, which was worth four hundred zoos, is now worth five hundred zoos. So just does she get that full amount of wine and she gets the profit, or no, does she get less wine now, only equal to four hundred zoos? Um, Ravilsi Ravkali asked me, the profit is to the orphans, very similar thing. Even though now that amount of wine is worth more than 400 zuz, they don't have to provide the girl with anything more. Only the value of what was said at the time. So it's kind of like the inverse. Here, the value of the wine went up and it was pledged, so they don't have to give that full amount. They only have to give like what the father said at the time. Whereas in the previous case, where the needs of the dowry went down and they can get it for cheaper, they only have to supply the needs of the dowry. Says the Gemara Rav Yochanan, the relatives of Yochanan, they had a case of a father's wife. She was completely, she was eating way too much. And because she was eating way too much, so what was going on is that it was depleting all of the estate. She's entitled to support. But this girl had crazy eating needs. So, the, the, so they, she, she was eating way too much. Now their father was still dying, but had not yet died. And, but they were nervous that she was going to keep on eating after her habits, after the, the father was dead. And uh, it would impoverish and take away all the estate. So Asu the Kamei Rabbi Yochanan came in front of Rabbi Yochanan and they wanted advice. Amar Luhu he said to them, Go tell your father, still alive, that he should designate a specific part, a specific land for her support. Meaning, an interesting thing: the father has the right to say, as long as the woman will accept it. Your support will come from this little par- parcel of land. And the woman may prefer that because then she doesn't have to keep on going to the, to the Arshim and getting money from the estate. She has her own piece of land dedicated to her. But it's good for the Arshim because then she doesn't not entitled to take from the general estate. So try to convince the father and her to go into a deal that she'll, she'll take one specific piece of land for her support and then she won't be entitled to anything else. So they followed Rabbi Yochanan's advice over here. After her father's death, they asked Rish Lakish and they told him about the whole thing. That before the father died, they, they had tried to get from the father him to pledge one specific piece of land for the support. And they, they thought it was going to be good. Now, Rish Lakish would pass in that the girl's only entitled to, to, to get support from that little piece of land. Amalu, he said to them, no, Koshik and Amazonas. Actually, you increased her support. Now, she has yet another source of income. She has that and the regular estate. So they were very surprised. Rabbi Yochanan didn't say that. Rabbi Yochanan said that if, 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 if we specify one piece of land for her, then it's only, only from there that she can collect. Amalu, Rish Lakish said, Zilu Havalu, you better go give what she's used to. Zilu, and if you don't, I'm going to remove Rabbi Yochanan from your ears. Meaning to say, I'm going to excommunicate you and I'm going to force you to, to ignore Rabbi Yochanan's advice. So came to Rabbi Yochanan and they're like, how come Rish Lakish wasn't honoring this? Amalu, he said, what can I do? A person who's very great argues on me. It's very interesting. Rish Lakish and Rabbi Yochanan were brothers-in-law, right? It's very interesting. Rish Lakish was, didn't seem to accept Rabbi Yochanan's ruling. So the Gemara explains here, why not? It was explained to Rabbi Yochanan that it depends what language the father used. If the father said that the field is for support, he didn't make a limiting statement. He didn't say that only this piece of land is the only thing you're going to get. He just said this land is for support. So then it's like, if anything, he just increased their support. Amar Bimizonis, if he said this field is in support, he said this is Bimizonis, your Mizonis is limited to only this, then Katsas Lamazonis, then you, you cut off the revenue of the field and it's only going to come from that. So the objection that Rish Lakish had was because of the language that the father was using. In Achanami, if the father would say Bimizonis, then it would have limited it to that field. But since he said Limizonis, so then, if anything, he increased the amount he was giving and it was not not limiting it to that specific land. Okay, now we move on to the new parak. 
So basic suba is that you pay 100 to a, non, to a non-version and 200 to a version uh, to a besula, that's the base amount for the ksuba. The Mishnah says, Afapisha Amru, even though the, the Chachamim said, Besula Gova Masayimba that a virgin collects 200 zuzah and the widow gets 100. If he wants to add to the ksuba even another 100 mana, which is a lot, mana is 100 zuz, so 100 mana. A uh, hundred money would be ten thousand zuz, so a lot of money. If he wants to add Yosef, he may add. Now, you, it doesn't seem like much of a chiddush. Of course, you want to give him away your money, give away your money. The Gemara will address that. But the point is, you could give more than the base amount. She became uh, widowed or divorced. Whether it's heiress or nisuin, she collects everything. Meaning, not if a woman is divorced or if he dies, not only does the woman collect the base amount of two hundred one hundred, she also gets all the supplementary amount. Even if the Nisua never occurred, even if it was only Arison, she collects the base amount and all the supplementary amount as well. says, no, it depends. If it's from Nisuin, she collects everything. After Nisuin, then she collects even the supplementary amount. But after Arison, it's only the base amount, the 200 for a Basula and a 100 for the widow. Why is that? So even though he promised her so much more, it was only given conditionally with the expectation that he was going to marry her fully with Nisuin. So the base amount is given just, just from the Arison itself. And therefore, if, if she's widowed or divorced from them, she collects, she collects the base amount. But the extra supplementary amounts, those only come if he actually followed through and did Nisuin with her. Yudah Omer, and we, we referenced this before in the previous paragraph, Yudah says, in Ratzah, if the husband wants, he can write a ksuba that he owes her 200. She can re- respond that, that it says, like I received from you, Amana, meaning to say, she can, she can forfeit the right. She can be mochel her ksuba to the husband, no problem. Similarly, for a widow, he can write her, and he can write, she could have, she could write, I received from you 50 zuz. She can be mochelet. And, uh, and, and since she can be mochelet, there's nothing wrong with that. According to Rabbi Yehuda, if they're all on the same board and the woman consents that she's not going to receive the ksuba and she writes that to her husband, she puts it in writing that she's not going to receive, there's nothing wrong and they can be married. Meaning there's nothing illegal with having a marriage without a ksuba as long as both parties uh, consented to that. That's Rabbi Yehuda's view. Mayor, Omer, Mayor says, no. Anyone who reduces the amount, you don't have the full amount of 200 for the Basula, or for the widow, the 100 that she's supposed to get, it's considered like Znos, they're not allowed to be together. We'll analyze this much further in the Gemara, whether or not it's, you're able to use consent in Mechila to go against the, the basic recommendations of what the Ksuba is. So first we look at the, first, the opening line in the Mishnah. What was that? That if a chassan wants, he could increase the amount of the ksuba. So the word says, Pshita, why is that even a chiddush? It's obvious. Why would somebody think that you can't increase the amount of the ksuba? It says, You would say, maybe the Rabbanon set a limit. They made a fixed amount for all ksuba. Not to embarrass someone who doesn't have enough to give extra. Meaning if some people give extra and some people don't, it will end up being embarrassing for the people who don't have enough resources to give more. Kamash Malam, the Tana therefore tells us that it is mutter to increase the ksuba amount. But Chachamim did not make such a law, and it's fine to put in more. In Ratzel Hosef, if he wants to add, he could. So the Gemara makes an inference. Ratzel Lichtov La Lokatani doesn't say if he wants to write for her. It doesn't stop say if he wants to make a document pledging that. El Ratzel Hosef says if he wants to increase. Increase means that the extra amount is becoming part of her ksuba itself, meaning it's not a separate payment. It's not a separate idea that he's going to pay. It's actually the idea that it's being added to the ksuba itself. It's going to be part of the ksuba. 
So what, we'll see what the nafkamina is. But the Gemara says, The stipulations of the Ksuba are like the Ksuba themselves. They have a subject to all the laws of the Ksuba. There are many unique laws about the Ksuba, as we'll explore in the second half of Mesachas Ksuba. So that's really mostly what it's about. And the Tanoya Ksuba, the extra stipulations in the Ksuba, they follow those same types of laws. Now we're going to see what those types of things are. And again, we're not going to analyze it too much because we don't fully know all the halachas of Ksuba, but we'll just see it. Quickly, nafkamina ramifications are the mocheres. First of all, if a woman sells uh, ksuba or mocheres, or she waives her ksuba, she forfeits it. So she sells or waives her ksuba. So then we say that not only is she waiving the mandatory parts of the one hundred goods, but all of the all the stuff, the entirety of the ksuba, all the extra supplements, and all the tanaim are waived or sold as well. But read this: the woman who rebels. A woman rebels against her husband. She refuses to have relations with him. The halacha she had, her ksuba is reduced. Each week she loses a certain amount, a certain amount so there's nothing left there. So, so the supplementary amounts are, are going to be reduced as well. Pogamist, the woman who, who's pogim her ksuba. Pogim ksuba means she admits it that she received partial payment and the husband claims that he paid it completely. So the halacha is she can't collect the balance unless she makes a shua that the remainder is still owed to her. And the halacha is that the supplementary amounts becomes part of the ksuba itself. So the same thing, even if she admits that she receives the payment for the ksuba, but she disagrees with her husband about the supplementary amount, she can only make a collection if she makes a ksuba. If a woman demands her ksuba, so we know she demands in court that she be paid her ksuba, then she forfeits her right to support. So the, the supplementary amount is considered part of the ksuba. So she demands the supplementary amount. That's tantamount to demanding the ksuba itself. And therefore she loses the right to support. Overus aldas, a woman who transgresses the law. So that means a woman who's not acting like a good Jewish girl loses her right to ksuba and she loses her right to the supplementary amount as well. Top of to appreciation of the land. So there's certain things about assets which, which, um, which appreciate after death. So if a woman is collecting a ksuba from her husband, say she doesn't collect the ksuba from whatever appreciated after the husband's death. So the same thing, she cannot collect from the shvach, from things which appreciated, um, she cannot collect the supplementary amounts from things which appreciated after the husband's death. Lishvua, for swearing. There are cases where the woman has to take a shvua, uh, let's say the husband's not around, for example, and it would be the same thing for the supplementary amounts. Less shviyas in regard to Shemitah. Shemitah usually cancels all loans, but it does not cancel Ksuba. The reason it doesn't cancel Ksuba, um, it doesn't, there's a whole reason why. Well, not for now, we'll talk about it later, but it doesn't cancel the supplementary amounts as well. Someone who wrote over all of his possessions to his sons. So, so the halacha is that if he writes everything to his sons and he gives his wife a little piece of land, so she loses the ksuba, everything is, she's only entitled to that little piece of land. So that she would assume that she forfeits her rights to the supplementary amounts as well. The law is that it's only collected from real estate. Ksuba is only collected from real estate, not from movable items. That's true for the supplementary amounts as well. But as Iburis, specifically, if it's, if it's collecting from Karka, it's from the inferior types of lands, and that's for the supplementary amounts as well. It's true as long as she's in her father's house. So that's the halacha, that if a widow remains in her husband's house after his death, she collects Ksuba at any time. But even if she doesn't say anything, we don't assume she's forfeiting it. But if she goes back to her father's house and she's silent, then if she's for 25 years of silence, then we assume that she's mochalit. And uh, we say the same thing for the supplementary amounts. And the same for the ksuba goes to the woman's male children. Remember that halacha that we learned about? That even though a man inherits his wife, if she dies first, the ksuba and the dowry aren't divided equally by the sons from different wives after the husband dies. Rather, only the sons from the deceased wife inherit her ksuba and the dowry. So this is true not only for the base ksuba as well, but for all the supplementary amounts as well. So for all these halachas that we mentioned, these 14 nafkaminas, the, all the Tanaya Ksuba and the supplementary amounts go into the Ksuba itself. They're not treated like an extra gift, but rather they're considered to be part of the Ksuba itself.